Last week, when I wished Happy New Year, I said Happy Kainos Year, not just a Happy Neos Year. I wished a new Happy Year, not in a chronological sense, but in a God's creative sense. Today, I want to wish you another new Happy New Year blessing with my Latino Happy New Year greeting. And by the way, I'm not a Korean-American. I'm a Korean-Latino-American. So in Latinos, we greet one another. Um, what is that? The Prospero Año y Felicidad, like a Jose uh, Feliciano song. For Latino-Americans, a happy new year means a prosperous year. Happiness and prosperity go together in general. That's what Jewish people mean when they say they're greeting shalom, literally meaning peace. But shalom is more than just peace. It is a wholesome, flourishing well-being. I pray that everyone's 2023 is an experience of a God's shalom. More than anyone, our God wants us to have a flourishing, fruitful, productive year. With that, let's read our text together, uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, responsibly. So I'm going to read uh, uh, odd number of verses, you read uh, even number of verses. I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. Flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. The context of today's passage is actually very serious and solemn. If you look at the last verse of the previous chapter, uh, John chapter 14, Jesus said, he, you know, I love my father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. And then Jesus said, come now, let us live. Live for a while. Here, Jesus was just finishing Last Supper or Passover meal with the disciples at the upper room in Jerusalem. And he was going to Garden of Gethsemane at the bottom of Mount Olive through the Kidron Valley which had many vine trees. As is a usual teaching method, Jesus used whatever was available around him. In this case, it was a vine. Here, 
Jesus made his seventh and the last I am statement in the Gospel of John in the background of a vine trees. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. With this statement, Jesus gives us the promise that in him we can bear true fruit because it's a true vine. What is a true fruit? True fruit is a fruit that stays or fruit that lasts forever because God loves it. It is my prayer in 2023, we bear the fruit that does not spoil with the time, but fruit that stays for good. To glorify God with the fruit that stays, we need to recognize three principles of a fruit-bearing Christian life. So that's what I'm going to share with you today. The first principle of a fruit-bearing Christian life is a priority of a fruit. Priority of a fruit. The word fruit repeated seven times in this passage. What did Jesus say he was in today's passage? Twice in verse 1 and verse 5, Jesus repeated, I am the vine, I am the true vine. Then he said, God is the gardener and we are the branches of the vine. Combining all these three descriptions, Jesus clearly tells us of his expectation from our life. To Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. To be disciples of Jesus Christ means to bear fruit because Christ is not just any tree, but a vine tree. You know, the most important product of a vine is a fruit. As the most important, you know, thing about any fruit tree is a fruit. If Jesus were an oak tree, his expectation would be different. Because an oak tree is not a fruit tree, and it's only useful for lumbers, you know, for buildings and furnitures. Vine tree is planted for one thing and one thing only. That is a fruit. The branch of a vine exists for the fruit, nothing else. Does a thick, strong vine branch means nothing. Spiritually speaking, you know, impressive person with many talent and achievement does not really impress, does not really impress God. Because of what glorifies God is the fruit, according to Jesus, not a facade or our resume. So it is not a strong branch, but sweet fruit that God seeks from us. Whatever fruit that God likes stays for good. So what is a fruit that stays forever? The fruit that God seeks and stays for good has a two aspects. One is internal, the other one is external. Internal fruit that stays is so-called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the fruit of the Spirit is not another you know, long list of moral virtues that we need to work on separately. Don't confuse a work with a fruit. These are two different things. We cannot produce 
the fruit of the Spirit without our moral and religious works. Someone said, God always prefers the fruit of the Spirit over religious nuts. Okay, that was a laughing point, but you missed it. Okay, I guess you're sleeping, that's fine. Simply speaking, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is a Christ-likeness because Spirit loves to make a Christ known to us and help us to become like a Christ. Actually, it is a Jesus Christ who embodies the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is actually total love, total joy, total peace, total patience, total kindness, total goodness, total faithfulness, total gentleness, and total self-control. Jesus is the fruit of Spirit in person, incarnated. Amen? Jeff Bridge, in his book, Pursuit of Holiness, captures the essence of the fruit of the Spirit very well. So let me read. The fruit of the Spirit is a fundamentally relational. Rather than origina originating with us, it flows to us from our union with the Christ, and it flows beyond us, bringing us into fellowship with the others. Fruit of the Spirit, or Christ-likeness, is a never esoteric, mystical, or individualistic. It is always relational and communal. Christ-likeness leads us to reach out to others as a Christ sought and welcome sinners like you and me with his love. That's what I mean by the external aspect of the, of the fruit that stays. You know, when Christ transforms us, we begin to reach out and touch others. That's the nature of God's love and grace. God's love is so good, it eventually overflows from us to others. So before I go on to the next you know, principle of a fruit bearing, let me just stop and let me ask everyone here today a very preliminary and fundamental question. That is, do you want to bear fruit? Do you really want to bear fruit? If so, what kind of fruit do you want to bear in your life? Do you put your top priority on the fruit that stays, that glorifies God? Or fruit is just a one of uh, wishful things that you think that, oh, this year I'll, I'll, I'll be a little more spiritual. Joseph Campbell, American writer and scholar of a comparative religion, well, I mean, famous for the uh, mythology in PBS series, once said this, there is probably nothing worse than reaching the top of a ladder and discovering that you are on the wrong wall. Which wall are you trying to climb? The great missionary to China, India, and Africa, C.T. Studd, once said, one, only one life, to will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Paraphrasing to our context, we have only one new year to live. And soon 2023 will be gone, just like 2022 passed so just, you know, just a few days ago. And the only what we have done for Christ will stay. Amen? Second principle of a fruitful life is a pruning of God. Look at the verse 2. He, that means gardener and God, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, 
while every branch that does, uh, does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of word that, that I have spoken to you. How does God actually spiritually prune us? God does it through his word, through his word. In the Greek text, the word for prune is the same word for clean, which is a kathairo, kathairo. And we have an English word from this kathairo that is a catharsis. You know, you know, cathartic experience, something relieving, relief, you know, something that gives you relief. By the way, I actually checked how, you know, I actually checked how actual winemakers do pruning. And uh, I'm not a wine drinker, so I don't know much about wine, you know. So you might verify with uh, Joshu, you know. Uh, you know, he gave me very nice, good, expensive wine that I shared, you know, I received a great compliment from my in-laws, you know, just, a t you know, last week. So I thank God for Joe. But, uh, so, ask Joe, but, you know, in, there is a, a winemaker called Matthiasen Wines in Napa Valley. It's a small winery, husband and wife, uh, wife team, and they've been producing high-quality wines since 2003. And David Madison uh, Matthiasen explains the pruning in this way. Why do we prune? Because if vine is not pruned, it reverts very quickly to its wild nature, climbing everywhere with its long sinew trunk and tiny straggly bunches of uneven grapes. Part of the pleasure of pruning is that it is a pure craftsmanship like woodworking or ceramics, blending of a form and vision, assessing the vine's growth adjusting the pruning cuts to its individual differences. If we prune correctly, vine will be balanced. That means it will grow just enough. If it grows too much, the resulting wines will be thin and simple. If it grows too little, the wine will be bitter and hard. The right amount of growth, what we call the balanced growth, result in balancing wine, balanced wines that are delicious and show terroir, whatever the French word, you know, means soil, you know, climate and sunlight. And I want you to know that our God is the master gardener who brings the best balanced growth in our life through his pruning. So how does God prune us and clean us? It is through his word. Through his word. God's word is a a cleansing agent and pruning knife, so to speak. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing souls and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thought and attitudes of a heart. Hebrews 4 describes God's word as a surgeon's scalpel. You know what this means? The deeper we learn God's word, the more fruitful our life will be. I say many times, but, uh, you know, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Even though it's good to attend this church on Sunday, Sunday church attenders will not grow your faith substantially. Your faith will grow when you pay attention to God's word. Amen? Seriously. You know, faith is with God, and faith in Christ is a relationship. And relationship is based on communication. 
deeper communication you have, stronger the relationship will be. So whenever you hear God's word in Sunday message, your Friday house church word time, in your daily devotional or our Good Shepherd College classes, and, you know, there's something that you feel God is tugging your heart or Holy Spirit is nudging you, that's exactly the moment God trying to prune you. And if you say yes, like Alex, God will prune you. God will prune you, and you will be fruitful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, classic, The Cost of Discipleship, he said this, Christianity without discipleship is a Christianity without Christ. So to be Christian, to be follower of Christ, that means to have a discipline. But I want to say this. Discipleship is not just about discipline. You need to know. Discipleship is not just a discipline, but it's a discipline for dependence. It's a discipline for dependence. Discipleship is more than exercising willpower, but exclusively focusing on God's Grace, which is sufficient for you. You know, back in college, for a year and a half, I signed up for discipleship like this one. Very emphasized, you know, discipline. So every Saturday morning, I got up at 6 o'clock, drove an hour to get to my church from 7 a.m. Saturday morning till sometime even 1 p.m., five, six hours. I was into Bible study and memorizing 180 Bible verses in a year. And doing a weekly homework for the Bible study, guess what happened to me after a year and a half? I came to my college pastor and said, I resign from all leadership responsibilities because I'm not strong enough to be a leader or even disciple. I quit. I just attend the Sunday. You know, discipleship is a constant training to switch from myself to God. You know, discipleship is not how much I love God, but how much God loves me. That is a discipleship. That is the essence of discipleship. I think John Oldberg, you know, in his book, Life That You Always Wanted, you know, explains very well. So let me quote again. There is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder but about training wisely. Following Jesus simply means learning from him how to arrange my life around the activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. I like the word training because the training is a different than trying. Training implies goal, mission, object, right? When you train something, when you start training, that means you have a goal. I know several people who are training for marathon, you know. And uh, by the way, I always like the sports, and the soccer is my favorite sport. But uh, ever since I moved to America, especially in Texas, American football, especially college football, has become very fascinating to me. And the more I know about it, the more I understand why some people they follow their teams not only the football season, but 365 days. So, do you know what's going on right now in college football? People say, oh, tomorrow is a national championship between 
TCU and Georgia. Yay, you know, you know, horn frog, horn frogs, whatever. Okay. Let me tell you the real deal right now in college football for is things called winter things called the winter training or winter conditioning. Conditioning is a very, in my opinion, poor choice of the word. Because I'm conditioning myself. You know, I have a wedding to officiate this coming weekend. So I try to fit into my uh, wedding suit again. So I'm trying to, you know, skip some meals and then fit in there. That's what I call conditioning. When football players call conditioning, winter conditioning, that's, that's almost a, a volunteer torture. Because it is a brutal, merciless, and uh, yeah, no excuse. And I read, if you have a chance, go to the YouTube and see the winter conditioning of a football team and see. It's amazing. You know, they usually start, uh, oh, they say there are two kinds of uh, winter conditioning, uh, humane one and the common one. Humane one start in the afternoon. Common, common one start in the, before the dawn. Because uh, strengthening and conditioning coaches are sadist. And, uh, you know, they say, you need to show up. And they have actually two reasons for that. One is, uh, you know, protect them from the parties and the bars and all the troubles and the chasing girlfriends. And the two is that to the mindset. Football is all about timing. If you come late, game is over. Your play is over. Your team lost. So timing, the mindset, you need to come early. So they train. For that, they find a humongous truck tire. You name it, every possible, you know, you know, heavy equipment that they find and they throw you and do you and all. Why do they do that? If you know the college football's, you know, rhythm, they are all shooting for the spring game. What is a spring game? That's when coach decides who will be the main and starting members, who will be the benchers. So if a football players, right now, that 99% of all college football players, they are training hard. For what? Glory and goal of being starting members of team or perhaps a winning season, perhaps a conference title, or maybe a coveted national championship. I want you to know that our God called each one of us to be full member of his winning team, of Jesus Christ for eternal glory. Amen? That's why we are pruned. You cannot just play. You have to prune. When we prune, God will create the space. You create the space, and the Holy Spirit will come in and fill it. Amen? Third principle of a fruit-bearing Christian life is things called the perichoresis of a love and joy. Perichoresis is a Greek word for group dancing. When you take a cornerstone Bible study, which I've been telling you to, begging you to take, you'll understand the full meaning. The final principle of a fruitful life means a partnership of a love and the participation of a joy. Look at the verse 5 
one more time. Verse 5 to 11, one more time. You know, read with me, you know, together. You know what? Let's read together. One, two, three. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. As a father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be new, that your joy may be complete. The central expression here is a you in me and I in you. And the key word in this passage is remain. Or old English translation used the word abide. Remain or abide was used 11 times in 11 verses here. And uh, this word, remain or abide, is uh, Apostle John's favorite word. Because out of 118 times mentioned in the Bible, he used more than half, 67 times. And the Gospel of John used this word remain or abide more than any book in the Bible 40 times. And John is all about abiding in Christ's love. Once again, when you take a John discipleship one, you will understand the true meaning of a discipleship. I said earlier that discipleship is more than discipline and willpower. It is about the focusing on God because the discipleship is all about love of Jesus. You know, his love is so unique that awes us and attracts us and moves us with a surprise sweetness and a tender toughness. And such love makes us move with a joy in the rhythm of a grace. Then soon we'll find that we are dancing. And that's why early Christians called God, the triune God, perichoresis. Circle dancing community. And today, in this passage, he just gave a two imperatives, a command. First one is a abide. Abide. Branch has to abide. Because without vine, they are fruitless. They can do nothing. You know, we bear fruit not by squeezing it out of ourselves, but because we are extension of the vine, pruned by the gardener father who wants us to be fruitful and drawn, who wants us to be drawn into the unity of a father and son. But we have to remember that we are the one who choose the abiding place of our soul. So if we want to bear the Jesus fruit, we must choose to abide in him. And abiding in him simply means abiding in his word, and abiding in his word means abiding in his love. And then when we abide his word and in him, Jesus said, we can ask. That's the second command, ask. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done, to, done for you. You know, unlike inanimate, inanimate you know, branches of a vine, 
we can actually ask our God, our gardener, to trim us and help us to be more fruitful. And I want to make it clear here, one thing about prayer is a prayer is not just asking whatever we wish. You know, people just read this passage and say, oh, Jesus said, you know, ask whatever you wish. Well, you have to read a, 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 a phrase right before. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish. So prayer is not just asking whatever we wish, whatever we want. To, you know, I mean, God to do whatever we want. Praying is asking God to do, to fulfill the great promises that he gave us in his word. Amen? Prayer is claiming God's promises from his word and ask God. Praying and pruning. These are the partnership of a bearing and growing fruit together. So once again, fruitful life comes from fellowship with God and with, with, with others. Now, I'm going to quote the last quote of the today, which is given by uh, this a great uh, American southerner. Yeah, you know, uh, from Georgia. Um, his name is uh, Clarence Jordan. And uh, he is an incredible uh, man of God because uh, he built this, uh, uh, what is this, pacifist interracial communal farm in 1942 in deep south Georgia. You know, two decades before the civil rights movement, he already practicing Christ's love, welcoming black and white, and anybody come together in the name of Christ and to build a community together. He's my unsung, you know, he's my, you know, actually hero along with Flannery O'Connor. But now, this is what he said. You cannot put Christianity into practice. You cannot make it work. As desperately as it is needed in this poor, broken world, it is not a philosophy of life to be tried. Nor is it social or ethical ideal which has a tantalized humankind with a possibility of attainment. For Christianity is not a system you work. It is a person who works you. I love this statement. Christianity is not a system you work. It's a person who works you. You don't get it. He gets you. He gets you. How does Christ get us? You know, today, Jesus said, I love you as my father loved you. Do you know how much God loves Jesus? Do you know how much God, father loves the son? Jesus placed us. Jesus placed his love to us in the same category that fathers love to, him, love to, love to himself. Father loved the son with a love that has no beginning, no end. It's a close and personal and love that without measure and the love that is unchanging. And that's the love that Jesus has for you and me. As Father loved me and I trust and obey Father, you abide in me. Jesus abide us. 
with the Father's love to Him. And that's why we should abide in Jesus. And when we abide in Jesus through His Word, guess what? His Word will transform us. And out of this apparent selfish you know, life, grateful, joyful fruit of the Spirit will be born. Amen? Let us make a 2023 not just faithful, but fruitful year. Let's pray.